Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Will Gurry from Pizza Modus coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined this week by my frequent co-host, Mary Clarkson, the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. Mary, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hello, Eric. I am great. Good to be here. Mary, we have much to discuss. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Danton's, the classic Creole restaurant on Montrose Boulevard, is both relocating and rebranding. It will serve its last meal in its current space on December 31st, and then it will relocate to the former Mockingbird Bistro space on Welch, and when it reopens sometime in early 2019, it will be known as Eugene's. Mary, are you a Montrose, or excuse me, Mary, are you a Danton's fan? Um, I've been there before, and it's fine. It's not really on my radar, so perhaps this will bring it uh, a little closer in and a little more on my radar. Well, yeah, I think that is really the question, is is shedding this name that they have been known by for, I want to say, 10 years, maybe even a little bit longer. It, does that... You having recently rebranded. Yes, as a new restaurant, Mr. Sandler, yes. (laughs) Um, Does this seem like, do you you think that this is a a good move for Danton's to to rebrand itself with a new name, to go along with its new location? I love the Mockingbird location. It's a fantastic location, so I think that's a plus. Uh, I do know that if you only rebrand in name only and not... Uh, in spirit and in reality that people will catch on to that very, very quick. So if you're going to reconcept, rebrand, or make a new restaurant, it needs to be markedly different. Well, I I don't think that's the plan. I think the plan is to still keep some of the Danton's menu, although I I the one thing that I am not clear about is whether this means that Chef Danton Nix, the person for whom Danton's is named, is no longer involved in Danton's. Kyle Tease has always been the proprietor, the the business side. He is still involved. Eugene is his father's name. That's where the name comes from. So I I haven't had a chance to talk to Kyle about this, and I don't know exactly what changing the name means about the chef's involvement or non-involvement with the restaurant anymore. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what their plans are. I I think um, the Mockingbird location's a really good one. So No parking, uh, though. Uh, yes and no. I mean, Mockingbird had valet. I actually negotiated uh, a purchase of this property that fell through for a a lock line of mine, not myself. And, um, there is nearby parking that is available, uh, that they can add on to if they want to lease it. Um, so I don't know if that they're opting to do it, but there's, there's generous street parking. You're like definitely within the neighborhood of Montrose here. So, People, if they want to ingratiate themselves with the neighborhood and be a neighborhood spot, they can park and walk or walk from their house or bike or valet. I don't know if they'll opt to have valet, but, um, you know, I think it, people people expect all of these things with that Mockingbird location. Yeah, I mean, the space has been vacant for about a year, right? Do you, uh, maybe even a little longer? Longer. Definitely longer. I was right, it closed at the end of 2016, right? Yeah. Do you... Um, Without revealing any uh, confidences, <laughs> sure. do you know why it's taken so long to find the right tenant for this? I do. The gentleman who owns this is a lovely, lovely man, but he um, he lives above the Mockingbird space, and he still operates the laundromat next door. Um, and let's just say he is a very involved landlord and has a very specific idea of how... Um, his business uh, below or tenant below should run their business. I knew that our deal probably wasn't going to work when he was suggesting uh, interior design ideas. <laughs> yeah, that would, I, I've never opened a restaurant. That would seem like none of my landlord's business. Yes. Right. Let me figure out how to make money so that I can pay you what I owe you every month. And other than that, leave me alone would be my general perspective, I think. 
Yes, he's a lovely individual. I have nothing but good things to say about him. I just, uh, I think he has a different idea than sophisticated operators most of them are willing to put up with. All right. Let us move on. Topic number two. Harry's Restaurant in Midtown has reopened after three months of renovations. Uh, I will say I I got the chance to uh, tour the space. I talked to Zoe and John Plastis. They are the the son and daughter of the couple that owns the restaurant. It looks great. It's cleaned up. It's modern looking. It's nothing fancy. But then again, this is a a breakfast lunch spot with a cafeteria line. So it, it shouldn't be fancy. Uh, Mary, let me just throw it to you. Are you a Harry's fan? Are you excited about a new look for a, a Midtown fave? I'm excited for them. I mean, come on. This is like the quintessential power breakfast spot. Uh, you talk about lawyers and judges in this town where they're having breakfast before they go downtown. This is definitely it. I'm excited to see them have a younger take on it. Um, and a fresh, you know, a fresh look. Harry's is beloved by a lot of people. Yeah, I think the goal is to kind of maintain what they have. They've expanded their private dining room so that when those lawyers and judges want to have some sort of you know breakfast meeting before work, that they can do that in relative privacy and with uh, you know the the usual electronics that go on in that room, so that you can you can have some sort of corporate presentation. But the uh, the other thing is they've added espresso. They're working with Cat's Coffee on that, and they. You know, I I think they want to get a little of that snooze vibe. Like they have a a kind of decadent uh, baklava French toast that would not be necessarily out of place on on the snooze menu. Uh yeah. I mean, you've got a that breakfast that breakfast game snooze puts out is strong for sure. Um, I think if you're in a rush for breakfast, you want to have a breakfast meeting, get on about your day. Uh, Harry's has always been a spot, so if they'll, you know, up their coffee game and their beverage game and a little bit of their food, um, I think that will will help them get to where they want to be. Um, but they were already such a beloved institution, so this is just a bonus, I think. Yeah, the other thing they said is that they're looking for a second location. They they really don't have, like, a firm fix on where that's going to be. Heights, Energy Corridor, maybe Sugar Land. I, this Harry's feels like a concept that could go other places, right? And, and it has enough of a name, I think, that it would be a draw in other places. My my free legal and real estate broker advice of the day for them would be go anywhere where the traffic count is high or where there's density of office buildings. So that could be Greenway Plaza. That could be Energy Corridor. That could be Med Center. Um, right. Sugarland Town Square yeah. has a lot of corporate offices. Yeah. You know, build Absolutely. on your reputation. You've got to have a place that's easy in, easy out. People don't want to mess around with parking in the morning. It's a good point. Yeah. Uh, topic number three, Buffalo Bayou Brewing Company has, uh, has broken ground on their new facility in Sawyer Yards. It's going to open next year. This is, uh, if you've been to Buffalo Bayou's current facility, you know how cramped it is. Uh, they have been behind the times in terms of some of these breweries like Carbox and Arnold Eighth Wonder that have big tap rooms and food service and and all of that. So they're gonna they're gonna join that movement in a really big way. Mary, are you a are you a Buffalo Bayou drinker? I am. It's one of my more favored Houston beers. I, I like Buffalo Bayou. So what do you think about these plans for them to kind of... They're spending some money. Serious money. <laughs> I mean, they're not the, they're not messing around. They raised a million dollars on the Next Seed platform in like six weeks. That's incredible. And what an awesome tool to raise money that definitely wasn't around six, seven years ago um, when I was opening my first restaurant. Um, but it's, it's a fantastic way for them to raise money. It, Looks like they're doing things. It's going to be state of the art. Good for them. Um, what can I say? I don't know. The brewery, the craft brewery scene is getting crowded. They were one of the earlier entrants. So I think that bodes well for them. Yeah. I mean, they have, as, as the speed with which they raise that amount of money demonstrates, they have a very passionate following. They are known for doing these very eclectic beers. They have They have a couple of sort of signature beers, right? The 1836 and maybe the 
the Crush City and the Sam's Daily. 1836 is no longer on tap at Valhalla. I'm quite upset about it. It was well, 95 cents. Well, that's a sad thing because <laughs> Rasul, uh, this is where I screw up Rasul's last name, Zarenfar, I'm, I'm going to get a text message from him about how to properly pronounce his last name, is a Rice alum. So it, it made sense that it would be on tap at uh, Valhalla Seriously. and very cheap. My favorite, my favorite bar in town, and that was definitely my favorite beer uh, there. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I think one of the things that's interesting is that they're going to work with Gin Design Group on the interior, and that you know the first floor will kind of recreate what they have now at the brewery, which is picnic tables around production equipment, and then you'll go up to the second floor, and there'll be more colors, and it'll have the restaurant, and then they'll have this third floor kind of patio and the colors are going to be crazy to celebrate like some of the, some of the more eclectic, more unusual beers that they do. And they really want to have this. It, it's not just like a space. It's like they want to create an experience. And, and if there's one thing uh, St. Arnold did with its new restaurant, it's, you know, bring that church theme, bring that religious iconography into what they're doing and really kind of push their branding. And so uh, if, uh, if Buffalo Bayou can get, a little bit of that vibe, I think they'll really be onto something. And then they'll they'll have created something that people will want to visit all the time. St. Arnold's is killing it. So there's no shame in looking at what St. Arnold's is doing and trying to incorporate as much as they can of that kind of model. All right. And then finally, topic number four, HEB has announced a partnership with four New York chefs to open a series of cafes at its locations. It's known as the Roastery. The first one is open right now at the Bel Air HEB, right in that, right in the triangle, uh, off of Bissonette. The four New York chefs are led by Jonathan Waxman, who is a multiple James Beard Award winner, Top Chef Master. Uh, Jimmy Bradley from the Red Cat is involved. Jason, uh, no, I don't have it. I don't have it in front of me, and I don't remember his last name. Jay- exactly, because they're not from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, so so I met so I had the opportunity to meet Jonathan Waxman at a at a press event this weekend and I said essentially, why are you doing this? Right? Like you must get money. You must get pitched things all the time. And he said, Well, they have this company called the Four J's that sells pasta sauces and coffee beans at H E B and their coffee person wanted a brick and mortar. And he just said he said about H E B, he said, We like each other. And so that's why they decided that for this brick and mortar, they would work with HEB. And HEB has big plans for this. So the Bel Air location uh, is the first location, but they'll have a bigger location at the San Felipe store, which is kind of on the boundary between Tanglewood and Briar Grove. And then HEB is building a number of new grocery stores, one in the Heights, one on Washington Avenue, one at the corner of Kirby and West Alabama, and one in Meyer Park all of which will get some form of this probably. And then there'll be kiosks of the roastery at some of their suburban locations. I asked about the Mondros HEB uh, and the, the word was that they would like to, but they're not quite sure where they would put it. And that store is so busy already that it's hard to. That store is insane. That's my, that is my, that is my HEB (laughs) and it is bonkers all the time. Uh, so are you intrigued by the thought of Jonathan Waxman's cafe at HEB? Is that enough to get you to visit an HEB? Straight up honest. No, they should have picked Texas chefs, any Texas chefs. We've got James Beard award winners here. Not interested. Hard. No. Okay. (laughs) I I will say I had the opportunity to try some of the pastries. Pastries are pretty good. I have not tried the sandwiches. So are Becky Mason's. (laughs) So Becky worked for Jimmy Bradley. So, so Becky, uh, that's an interesting choice because <laughs> she has a, a very small tie to this. She worked, she worked for Jimmy Bradley once upon a time. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a hometown girl. Okay. You should support the hometown team. And if not that, at least Texas, um, H-E-B can do whatever they want. Come on. They're going to succeed no matter what, but I just wish they would pick some Texas chefs. It would have been a nice, a nice thing to do for a Texas owned, uh, company. Does it does it change anything for you that Jonathan Waxman's son is going to rice? 
No, not unless he's bringing back my beer on tap at Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put in. I'll pass that along. I'm feeling extra special today, Eric. The cold weather has you grouchy. <laughs> I need hot cocoa. Come on. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You incorporated four dudes and none of them could be from Texas? Like, and you're a Texas-owned company? No. Come on, Becky Mason. Get that girl, get that girl some love up in H-E-B. She'd love an H-E-B partnership. Come on. I'm sure she would. Throw some money at her. All right. We'll be right back. (laughs) You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk about uh, one pop-up we attended and one new restaurant. Let's start with the restaurant. Superica is the Tex-Mex concept from State of Grace owner Ford Fry and his VP of Tex-Mex, Kevin Maxey. These are two Texans that have made their careers in Atlanta, but have kind of come home now with these restaurants in Houston. It is located in the former Bernadine space next to, at the corner of Shepherd and 18th, next to La Lucha, which is their kind of seafood and fried chicken concept that opened, uh, opened at the same time in the Hunky Dory space. Mary, we did not eat at Superica together, but we did eat there separately. Let me just let me just start with kind of the the basic. When you walked in and looked at it, did it feel different to you than Bernadine's? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they have the old Felix neon sign. That's the first thing that kind of catches your eye. And the, yeah, the, the, I, I saw somebody write that it's from Felix. It's not. Yeah, it, right. lo- it, it looks, looks. It's the Felix logo that they commissioned. It as looks a, pretty solid. I mean, they antiqued or aged it or whatever. It looks great. Uh, yeah, and then I, yeah, I'm with you. I think I think it has a distinct identity. Same it, layout, but right, same layout. There's there's not a lot you can do about that, but it feels like without being like super gaudy, it feels like a Tex-Mex restaurant. It doesn't feel like a seafood. Feels restaurant. Feels like a Tex-Mex restaurant when you're in there on a Sunday at. 5:30 and the restaurants on a wait. I mean, they are they are crushing it. Yeah, I there's not it's it's weird. There's not a lot of this style of modern Tex-Mex in the Heights, which is one of the reasons I thought it was likely to be successful. I mean, Calle Onze opened earlier this year and they've been killing it. And then you got to kind of go East a little bit, like Teotihuacan is kind of the, the closest thing that comes to mind. But they those don't... are high low though, high low. I think this is a nice middle middle ground. Right. Otherwise, you have to go down to Washington Avenue, which is where there's El Tiempo and Bifale fajitas. That's the only thing this place is missing. <laughs> we were getting there. You had to step on it before you tell them what what to fix. What did you like about your meal at? Super Rica. I loved everything. I'm just kind of being funny today. Um, their margarita, house margaritas, I started off with a frozen. It's really good. If they wanted to, they could up the alcohol a little bit, but it was great. The chips were nice and thin. Uh, their salsas were great. They had a green and red salsa. Yeah, I really liked that. It was fantastic. That, that slightly spicy, a little bit fruity green salsa, and then mm. that smoky red salsa. I think they're both good. Those were great. Um, let's see. Uh, queso with chorizo was wonderful. Their their tortillas stood out to me to be possibly the best tortillas in town right now. They are very good. I They had a kind of thickish uh, texture that makes them kind of easy to pick up. They're not going to fall apart on you. They weren't greasy. Nope, they weren't greasy, but they, they had, a good, had a good texture, a good, you know, that kind of clean, flowery flavor. I thought they... No, I think they're really onto something with those tortillas, and and I the queso has the right consistency, right? You want it, you want to be able to dip a chip in it and have it come out coated, or your tortilla. That too. <laughs> uh, I had fajitas that I really enjoyed. They were, you know, shrimp was good. Did you yeah, get shrimp? I got shrimp. I got the beef with the. It was nicely medium. I thought the the pico had the right mix. The guacamole is good. They had guacamole on the fajita platter. How about that? That is my least favorite thing about El Tiempo is that they make you. <laughs> Pay extra for the guacamole. Um, but so, so yeah, I had, uh, I did not have a margarita. I had a Paloma. Um, and I, I, I think I'm with you. I think I, 
I want a little more booze in the cocktail or maybe a little less mixer to drown out the booze. I don't know, one way or the other. Um, maybe we're just boozy. Maybe we're just boozy. But <laughs> I think we're, you know, nothing is going to nothing is going to make nothing is going to compare to the Cyclone and Naya's margaritas that are all booze. Or right. El Tiempo's that I think are all like I don't know. There's a there's definitely Everclear in in El Tiempo. I don't care if they say there are. Arts. Yeah, I I'm I, pretty I sure. think they deny that. So just for the purposes <laughs> of um, maybe that was Ninfa's original. I don't know. Right. But no, I I think uh, I I think they're really onto something with Super Rica, and I I tried it in Atlanta uh, this past summer, and I really enjoyed it, and I'm I'm glad that it's here. Uh, so. All right, so so go off on your rant about the <laughs> talk about the fillet fajitas because it's not it's not a rant. I, Bobby was sitting behind me, uh, Chef Bobby Matos, and I looked at him and I was like, "You will have a customer for life if I can have an addition of beef fillet fajitas because that's my favorite thing at El Tiempo." But other than that, I mean, they're they're gonna kill they're gonna kill it no matter what. It's just a selfish guilty pleasure that I want them to add beef fillet fajitas cooked to order because I feel like maybe the beef that they cook is. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they cook it, to be honest, but I would like, um, the option of having fajitas, medium rare, medium, you know, um, and with the beef filet fajitas at El Tiempo, you can get that. So that's my only desire or wish for something more. It's not a critique. It's, it's a great restaurant. Right. And for the record, I think the beef filet fajitas at El Tiempo are a huge waste of money. Uh, it's whatever. Uh, childhood pleasures. I've been eating that since high school, so I love it. <laughs> Uh, but yes, you will go back to Superica. Yes, I, but I found myself. What's hard though? This is a real. This is a real thing. I at Superica, and I'm like, I was telling Matt Crawford, the GM, I was like, you know, I've finally made it over here. Every time I want to be at La Lucha, so I think that's the that's the uh, torn inner inner turmoil for myself. Is La Lucha does such a great job of what they do, and it's completely different, but. Um, these two restaurants are some of my favorite restaurants right now. Well, no, I'm, I'm actually with you on that because I think if I'm going to that part of the Heights, I'm going to La Lucha over Superica. Not because I don't think Superica is doing a good job, but because I have about four or five Tex-Mex restaurants mm -hmm. that I cycle through already. Sure. El Real, especially on Mondays for the Montrose Mondays discount. Uh, Papacitos, because I've been going there my entire life. The original Ninfas on Navigation and Teotihuacan. So those are kind of my my personal four Tex-Mex restaurants. Fair. I don't know that Superica is going to crack that rotation, not because it's not good, but just because I'm I'm sort of setting my ways on that. Tex-Mex is a is a funny thing for Houstonians. I mean, we're really loyal to our spots. We're really loyal to our spots, and we're probably not going to drive very far for it. True. Uh, but I and I and I really do like La Lucia, right? I, I want those roasted oysters. I want that fried chicken. I want that. I want their champagne fried oyster prices. Loaf. Their champagne list is spectacular. Noted. I had not. I had not realized that. It's an entire page almost. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's Matt Crawford for you. He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna bring the champagne. Yes, he is. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. And then for our second restaurant, I want to talk about the recipe for success. Chefs yes. in the Field pig roast that we attended a couple of weeks ago that featured uh, the chefs from Musifer. This is the luxurious Indian restaurant that's opening in the Galleria next to Nobu. Uh, it was the first time that the chefs from Musifer had cooked for Houstonians. They made two dishes, uh, a braised pork dish that came in like a... Uh, well, it, it, it looked like an Indian taco, but it was a, a flatbread with some uh, some condiments and then a, a chocolate bonbon. Um, I wrote about this for Culture Map. Uh, Mary, I, I was very excited about <laughs> the taste of Musifer that we got. What did you, you think? You were downright giddy. Um, it was incredible. Honestly, the presentation of their plates were um, a meal that was cooked at times, they were going in and out of power in the back of the kitchen because they were using a generator, I think, um, or temporary electricity. These guys did a world-class job. Uh, their food tasted incredible. The Both of them, the savory dish uh, that you just mentioned, as well as the dessert presentation, 
I am so excited to see this restaurant come to Houston and what a great addition to our city. We're, I think we're really, really lucky to have these guys come into Houston. Yeah, they presented the savory dish on custom-made plates that had, that had been I want commissioned, <laughs> commissioned just for that dish. And so you just don't see a lot of that. I mean, you know, Chris Kinjo at MF Sushi buys a lot of his plateware from Japan. Justin Yu gets some custom plateware that's made locally, but it's, it's unusual, right? That this isn't off the rack stuff. And, and I can just imagine getting presented with this, um, this pork dish is one of like, given the size of the portion, I'd say it would have been appropriate at like a six ish course tasting. Sure. And I, I could just see that being like the entree course and being very excited about it. It was, I, I haven't seen something that made me that excited as far as skill level, presentation originality in a long time certainly in houston and these guys are coming to the galleria area i believe just above nobu correct uh next to nobu next to nobu above fig and olive okay so i think i think that's a great location for them i hope that they do incredibly well really do yeah i i somewhat snarkily compared them to Baker Mayfield, the first-round draft pick by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, Baker is a Heisman Trophy winner. He's kind of high ceiling, low floor. Nobody really knows what his his potential seems limitless, but but people have felt that way about a lot of uh, players for the Browns over the years that haven't worked out. Uh, I'm raising the floor for Musifer based on those two dishes that we tasted. I I I don't know if Houstonians are ready for a really elaborate fine dining Indian restaurant. Like I, it, it's still hard to, but, but I, now I don't think the food is going to be the issue. I think the food is going to be excellent. Whatever happens at Lucifer. I don't know what their pricing is going to be, but I mean, I would take this over Nobu any day of the week, given the options just kind of in, in that corner of the Galleria. Nobu for me is, I've tried it. I've been there. Great. We have way better sushi that's local. And, um, if I'm going to go to the Galleria when this restaurant opens, this would be the only one in that section that I would really um, find myself out, I, I believe. Yeah. All right, Mary, before you get out of here, what's going on at Avondale Food and Wine? Avond- Avondale Food and Wine is officially open. We have launched our retail wine store, so we will be open um, Saturdays now. The wine store will be open in the early afternoon, I believe around 1 p.m. is when we'll open the doors. And then the next couple of weeks will also be open uh, starting Sunday afternoons as well. So we'll be the only retail wine store in Montrose you can shop uh, on Sundays. So that'll be exciting as well. Um, TABC law doesn't allow you to open if you have uh, hard alcohol for sale. So Specs Midtown, for example, isn't open. So we're excited to have the retail store live and uh, excited to have people come into the restaurant and uh, wine bar as well. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. And I'll be right back with Will Grey. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Will Grewey, the owner of Pizza Modus in West University Place. Will, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. You know, I always like to start at the beginning with these interviews. And when I got the announcement that you were planning this restaurant, it said motorcycle racer. So can we start with that? How did you, how does someone even become a motorcycle racer? Well, first you have to decide that it's something you want to do. And that started, uh, I went to elementary school in Rome. I spent a good portion of my early childhood there. And motorcycle road racing is a huge sport, maybe number two or or three in terms of popularity, of course, after calcio or soccer. Um, And so it's huge. And then um, we moved back to the States in the mid-90s. And I got a dirt bike and uh, just kind of went from there. So how long were you a motorcycle racer? So I raced professionally for four years. And then I raced in the amateur series for more years than that, kind of leading up to it. Uh, I mean, what kind of, I'm not, I'm not a big bike person, but like, are these like sport bikes or 
Yeah, dirt tracks sport, or? sport bikes. So the kind I race is called uh, road racing. It's on a closed circuit. So like the same track as a Formula One track. And uh, they're the kind that lean over really far and um, have tires with no tread on them um, unless it's raining and then you put a rain tire on. And uh, I did sprint racing, which is like quick 30, 45 minute races. And then I also did for three years, uh, I raced in the World Endurance Championship, which is like the 24 hours of Le Mans, the eight hours of Suzuka in Japan, where you have one motorcycle and two or three riders. And uh, you do the 24 hour race, kind of like a relay, except instead of passing a baton, you pass a motorcycle. Were you a successful motorcycle racer? Were you. Uh... It gets pretty steep at the top. I mean, I was very happy to even get to the world championship um, and staying there for, for three. I was three years in the world championship and one year in the European championship. And uh, staying there for three years, I consider it a success. Didn't make a lot of money, um, didn't get hurt too bad. Um, but also, you know, it was never, I was never the top dog on the field, right. but just being on the field to me was, was good enough. So what made you decide that the time had come to, to bring an end to that chapter in your life? And, you, and then I guess you came back to the States. The, uh, luckily the decision was kind of made for me. Um, I'd been thinking of tapping out probably about for about a year or two before I did, just cause I realized I wasn't, I was good enough to be there, but I wasn't quite good enough to be a star. And, um, and then the 2009 global financial crisis hit and all the funding dried up and, uh, my salary was being cut from little to negative. And so then that, that, that made the decision for me. Okay. So you came back to the States in 2009, it sounds like. I, after 2009 was my last year racing motorcycles. And then I got hired by the organization that, uh, that, that, runs the whole thing. Right. The so sanctioning me, body. I'm, the sanctioning body, yeah. It's a media company, essentially. And uh, because I was one of the, I was, I think, the only writer that was both fluent in English and Italian, also had a college degree, and knew intimately the series. Um, so I worked for them for a few years. And then in 2013, I moved back to the States. I did my master's in business at UT Austin and uh, did an internship in Houston and just loved the city. So Because you... Because you're you grew up in the Dallas area. So I grew up in the Dallas area, but my mom is from Houston. I have a lot of cousins here, so when I was here for my internship, I reconnected with a bunch of family that I usually only see once or twice a year, and um, and yeah, and just between them and and how cool Houston is, I thought, man, this is my spot. <laughs> okay, so yeah. having lived in Houston for a little bit and decided that you really liked Houston, what made you decide to open a restaurant? Uh, it's just a series of poor life decisions from racing motorcycles to opening restaurants. It's just kind of, yeah, you're, you're professionally <laughs> impoverished. It's, exactly. It's yeah. like journalism. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I've worked in the industry both as, you know, a waiter as a, uh, you know, dishwasher and as an investor and it's just attractive. You know, I, I, I recognize that it's, it is dangerous, uh, just in, because it's a hard business. Um, it's hard to get going. It's hard to keep going. And it's hard to take it to the next level, but uh, you know, if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be fun. So, yeah. okay. So, how did you settle on Roman style pizza as the restaurant you wanted to open? Well, it it made sense because it was a missing type of food, and it was a staple of my diet for many years of my life, and it just wasn't here. Um, so that made sense. And then, you know, from a business perspective, I feel like. Pizza, hamburgers, tacos, those things have runway. Um, if it works and, and if you're able to sort of establish a, an operating model, there is the potential to have runway that is maybe less present, uh, at least from my naive perspective, in something more like fine dining. Uh, right. You could, you could have several pizzerias. You couldn't necessarily have several chef-driven Italian restaurants that focused on Roman cuisine. It might be more difficult. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess we should explain what Roman style pizza is for people who haven't tried it yet. Right. So what we're calling Roman style pizza in Rome, they would call it pizza al taglio. And it's found throughout Italy, but it's predominantly thought of as a Roman sort of invention or dish. And what distinguishes it from your round pizza is that it is... Um, a longer cold fermentation. It's thicker, but it's sort of light and airy. Um, so in terms of mass, um, it's, it's 
comparable to your regular round dinner pizza in terms of just like the weight of the dough. Um, but it's but it's thicker and light. Uh, and it just gives it a unique texture, a little bit of a new, unique flavor. Really, the dough recipe, it's more like a ciabatta bread recipe than it is like your traditional pizza bread recipe. Um, and I'm not, I haven't heard uh, exactly where the, or without contest, exactly where the origins of this pizza, pizza uh, are from. But the legend that I like the most is that during World War II, uh, the Italian government started taxing foods that they considered luxury foods which was everything except for bread and milk. Uh, so the bakeries started making bread, but it was actually pizza, and they were just calling it bread, and uh, that, therefore it wasn't taxed. Right, and so just as a, from an eater's perspective, it's maybe a little bit thicker than like a traditional New York slice that we would sort of be familiar with, but not as thick as a deep dish or a Sicilian-style pizza. Correct, correct. And then how did you pick... West U as the place to open the first, what, what is hopefully the first pizza modus? Um, I mean, I was looking at, at, at real estate and, you know, it, it's always a huge, it's probably the biggest decision. It's early on. Um, and I was just sort of charmed by the, by the location and by the history of the location. Uh, it was the Edla Street Cafe for a long time. And even in just interviewing or well, interviewing in trying to get the spot, I had to interview for it. Essentially, uh, I spoke to the owner. Uh, it's owned by a lady and her daughter. I did all of the financial discussions with, like, what's rent going to be? How are we going to do TI? And then the mom, the owner, wasn't so concerned with that. She was more concerned with who am I? What kind of restaurant am I going to bring? Am I going to carry the torch of this neighborhood uh, anchoring uh, space that she created for thirty-five years and raised her family in? So yeah. I, was, I was honored by that. Yeah, I mean, we should say that, that you really are like right in the heart of the neighborhood, uh, right next to the Little League field, uh, just, you know, half a block away from Tiny Boxwoods and right next to Little Matt's. So, I mean, there is this, it, it's not, I mean, for people in West U, like it's it's very much part of their their neighborhood. For anyone else, it requires like a little bit of knowing how to find you. Yes, yes. And that uh, is a difficulty that we signed on for. Um, you know, we, we, I mean, the first week, I think we, we got hit really hard by people that knew about us just because they jog by us every day and they were watching the construction. Um, and then, you know, once that sort of faded and, you know, we got, we have a lot of, of regulars now, but, uh, you know, we're not getting the, the people that come in for the first time because they saw us on the side of the road, on the side of the highway or something. Cause, um, but, but that is sort of the charm of the place is that it's a very quaint sort of tucked away place. Yeah. It's a, it's an intimate little spot. I, I yeah. actually, I, I went right when you opened and then I, I realized I, you know, I take my show prep very seriously, especially when it means that I have to go eat more pizza. <laughs> so I stopped by this weekend and, and it was, you know, it was Sunday. It was during the Texans game. So not, not full, but young families, you know, ordering, a couple of different pies and, and that those seem like the right mix of people. Those seem like your customers to me. Yeah. I mean, the thing I've been most pleased by is, um, on multiple occasions, I'll see young couples on a date. I'll see, uh, young couples with kids and then I'll see older couples kind of doing their night out. I used, if you call it a date after 40 years of marriage, I don't know, but, um, and so we really get that mix and, and, and to me, that's exactly what I wanted to create. You know, I didn't want to be a place just for one type of person, but kind of everybody. Right. And those older couples can can come with a bottle of wine and have a salad and one of the, the white pies, which are a little bit more sophisticated in terms of their toppings. And then they can come back two weeks later with the grandkids and get like the, the giant foot long, uh, you know, pepperoni. Or yeah. And they do. And, and we've noticed a couple of times, one thing that I was not expecting, which is I think it's really sort of. It's it's cool. It's pretty charming. Is that we've seen a couple guys come in by themselves with one beer. They get usually a personal pepperoni or even just a slice. Drink their beer, read their newspaper, uh, eat their pizza, and they'll come back a week later with like seven kids. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, okay. So we passed we passed the, the initial test. Right, okay. you passed the dad test. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can bring my kids here. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else have you learned? I mean, sort of. You know, you've been open for a few months now. Uh, what has changed from when you opened until today? 
Um, I mean, the biggest thing we've we've accomplished is that our kitchen crew knows when something is not correct. Um, you know, at the beginning, uh, you know, none of none of the people making the pizza, our, our staff had any knowledge of Roman pizza before we started training. We trained, uh, training was initially supposed to be two weeks. We went to three just so we could have it down more. And then of course, training never ends. Uh, in the first couple weeks, I didn't leave the kitchen. I was sort of like the guard at the gate and I would just send food back. Nope, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And, you know, of course that hurts operations, that slows stuff down. Um, but now not only are they getting it right almost all the time, but when they don't, they recognize, okay, this pizza's burnt or that has the wrong toppings on it or that has too much, you know, a lot of times we're putting too much cheese, right? So it's just like drowning in cheese. Like, no, no, we're kind of light on the cheese. That's traditional Roman. If they want more cheese, they can ask for it. We'll give them some more cheese for free. Um, so yeah, the biggest learning I think has been as a, as an entity, we're sort of on the same rhythm now more so than we were. Yeah. And, and that was sort of the other thing that I was wondering about is how much educating do you have to do for your customers who probably aren't familiar with this style of pizza either? Um, yeah, it's, it's a hard sort of, uh, needle to thread because you don't want to overload them like hi, welcome, let me educate you. Right, and uh, you're not Uchi, right? Right. The chef recommends you eat this this way. It's yeah. Like, I, I know how to eat it. Yeah, pizza. it's just a pizza, right. and you can eat it however you want. Um, at the same time, um, you know, you people, you want them to kind of get more or less what they're expecting to get. Um, so, you know, we, we put things on the menu. We describe, you know, when they're kind of looking at the menu, confused, like what's going on, how big's a personal. It's like, well, there's the rectangular come in squares um they customers catch on fast people are smart um yeah people people get it all right i i have to just just from a customer standpoint i have to ask you about one thing yes do you get a lot of pushback on the bottled drinks um we get we have gotten some we have gotten some and we would like to have um a, a drink tap but really there's just there's no room yeah. we're a tiny restaurant um, we, like, are, when I was there yesterday, I, I was like, Oh, you know, I'll have yeah. an iced tea. And he's like, it's in the bottle. It's like, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm such a Houstonian. I'm used to, <laughs> I'm used to the bottomless iced tea. Like that's yeah. just, you know, well, I, th that is definitely something we're actually looking at different iced teas to have and brewing things to have. So that's something we'll have shortly just because so many people have asked, um, uh, we kind of have a in-house rule to where we don't really take any requests seriously until we get like four of the same requests and then we start talking about it. Um, and we've surpassed the four mark on that. Um, yeah, so, you can, you yeah. can add me to that. If, <laughs> if you were at three, then I'm, four. <laughs> um, not, not by a whole lot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's definitely something we're, we're going to add. Um, and the, the bottled drinks, I mean, we really just don't have enough room for, for taps. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing is, are you doing delivery at we are currently not doing delivery. Um, that's another thing we want to add. Um, we have all the, you know all these complexities and stuff. We just wanted to add them in when we're ready. Um, we're getting to the point where I'm I'm getting fairly comfortable with just the consistency of our lunch and dinner service, and then we're going to start adding more from that. So we just now added uh, free delivery to Greenway Plaza for weekday lunches. Um, I am the delivery driver and, uh, <laughs> do you deliver on a motorcycle? <laughs> yes. And I do a wheelie the whole way. Perfect. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we just started taking catering appointments. Um, so we're sort of adding these complexities, um, as we get more and more comfortable with what's already on our plate. So, and I mean, do you anticipate any sort of like entree dishes? I mean, do you, do you want to do. I mean, spaghetti carbonara is a very iconic Roman dish. Right. I mean, do you do you think about that, or are you you just pizza and salads is kind of where you want to be? Um, I think right now we're at pizza and salads. I would love to do some entree dishes. Um, I don't want to do a pasta unless we can just knock it out of the park, and that takes a lot of training. That takes a lot of setup. Um, right now, our kitchen's so small that our stove, which we use for prep things, is it gets covered and used as a table for pizzas when during service, because we just don't have room to put sure. pizzas. Um, so yeah, I would love what I envision doing 
carbonara once a week, amatrishana once a week, cachapepe once a week. Um, but right now we're a pizza joint. I mean, out of all of our, or I think our, I'm not a salad guy, and I think our salads are great. Um, we we sell pizza, so um, right. I mean, yeah. realistically, yeah. Uh, you know, if I had to guess, your number one seller is pepperoni pizza, cheese, and then pepperoni, and it's close. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so you you know, you said you you feel like you the concept gives you some runway. I mean, at this point. How do you feel about how you're doing from a business perspective? Are you are you kind of where you thought you'd be? Uh, we are about where we thought we'd be. Um, business is good. Um, I think um, really my focus right now is is not on sales. It's on consistency and quality. Um, you know, our labor numbers are high, uh, and that's just because we don't have the efficiency yet. Um, you know, like I, I threw away a ton of dough the other day just because we didn't know how much we were going to need and it takes four days to make. So we blend it today and then it's in the refrigerator at 38 degrees for 72 to 96 hours, um, cold fermenting. Right. Which we should say is an exceptionally long amount of time for pizza dough. Most pizza dough, 12, 24, even, I mean, even 48 is kind of a long time for pizza dough. Correct. Yeah. It's a, it's a long time. And, uh, and that's, and that's, it's quite sensitive, right? Because you do, you do it at that time and when you pull it out, you know, sometimes, depending on the weather, the walk-in ref- refrigerator was running one degree colder. So it was running at, you know, 36 and a half, not 37 and a half like it usually does. And that'll actually change the fermentation of the dough. So training people how to pull it out and recognize that. It's not like, you know, our thermometer will tell us what it is right now, but it won't tell us the average over the last 48 hours. So take it out and recognize, okay, I need to leave this at room temperature for one hour, and then it's ready to be made into dough balls. Little delicacies like that, little sensitive uh, things like that, we're we're starting to get down. Right, and whatever I mean, whatever business you're doing, now that the weather is cooled off, you have that great patio with the view of the park. I mean, I, that's going to fill up as soon as the weather cools off. Oh yeah, it already has. I mean, the other night it was packed. We actually took some of the tables from inside to to kind of fill the patio even more. Um, and it's really great. I mean, the you know parents will come with their kids, and as soon as the kids get get restless, they just give them a soccer ball, and the kids run across the street, and the parents sit there and finish their their bottle of wine and watch the kids run around and get muddy. <laughs> um, so good. I mean, it, it sounds like, uh, I mean, it sounds like it's going well. Yeah, it's going well. I'm super happy. I'm super happy, and and you know the neighborhood has been great. Um, they're really supportive. Um, lots of praise. Lots of constructive criticism been fantastic all right so yeah. other than the iced tea thing what's the what's the criticism you're getting most often from people or, or what's the what's the thing you changed in response to feedback from your customers um we changed our cheese because f- more than four people including you wasn't crazy about our cheese so the cheese we were using at the beginning was a belgioioso cheese which was formulated specifically for this roman style pizza and I liked it, but it's a little drier than your usual, than your kind of pizza cheese that you're thinking of. Um, and so we changed to sort of a more uh, kind of like a wet, a slightly, wet, wetter. A slightly wetter mozzarella. Yeah. Because yeah. for yeah. whatever reason, the, and, and I, I fundamentally, I believe you that it's yeah. that the authentic cheese was the right cheese, but it, those drier cheeses associate with like cheap delivery pizza. Yeah, and I, I see that. Yeah, I see that. And when I read it, he's like, it's cheap cheese. I'm like, it's expensive. It's very expensive <laughs> cheese. It's expensive. But I can I can I totally see that. And and that's one of the things I've had to struggle with is because I look through the lens of what is it like in Rome, whereas all of our customers are looking through the lens of what do I like? And and so I have to sort of navigate between those. Right, because right. they're right. It's it's an interesting buying decision and, and I was talking with Mary earlier about the different Tex-Mex restaurants I go right, to. Right. And and I feel the same way about pizzerias, right? It's like I you know, if I want a Neapolitan pizza, it's like, do I want do I want that from Cane Rosso or Pizarro's? If I want yeah. it in New York, do I want it at Right. You know, do I want Romano's? Like it's or do I just want delivery or right. so you know, so I think you're you're in the same boat where it's like, okay, I've decided that I want pizza. Now, 
do I want Roman style pizza or New right. York? Or, right, absolutely. So, and I I like all the styles. I mean, a good pizza, you know, no matter what the style is, it's sort of like music, right? I I like good versions of all the different genres. Um, and I you know I think that the same thing is with pizza. And you know, we made the decision early on that we weren't going for pure authenticity. You know, we were I, I'm in love with this this crust, right? This like thick but very light and crispy crust. We're going to say, okay, we're going to take that base, you know, from Rome, Roman inspired kitchen is kind of our tagline. And we're going to put pepperoni on it, do Hawaiian, but instead of the the ham that you usually associate with a Hawaiian, we do a crispy prosciutto, which is a little saltier, a little crispier. Um, so sort of, you know, kind of a blend of, of the different um, taste buds, I suppose. Yeah. Well, Will, that, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless you have some other aspect of the restaurant that I haven't asked you about? Um, no, no. I mean, I think, you, I think you've got it. I think for me, the, the most exciting thing about this restaurant is, is the location and the history of that location sort of carrying it forward and just being a staple in the neighborhood. Um, it's just been really cool. I'll see several kids have come after school by themselves and got an ice cream or a slice of pizza, and then they come back two days later like bringing their parents, and it's just really cool. Yeah, really and, and you'll see the same thing in yeah. line of tiny boxwoods, yeah. right? Like, yeah. or, or especially milk and cookies. Yeah, right. I that if I were a Westview family, pizza for lunch yeah. followed by cookies. Yeah, would, would be like that. Would be my Saturday. Yes. <laughs> um. All right. So that brings us to the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions. Five short answers. All right. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Will, what's your favorite pizza topping? Prosciutto. What is the first band you saw in concert? Dave Matthews Band. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Whataburger. <laughs> Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Don't watch sports. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite motorcycle racer of all time? Oh, uh, Kevin Schwantz. And where's your favorite place in Houston to get a taco? Oh, Tierras Calientes, the Alabama Ice House. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Give us the website and the social media. And all, all right. We are pizza modus, M O T U S dot com. And our Instagram handle is at pizza modus, M O T U S. All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at E Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked to culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.